New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today, I'm hosting Dr. Stephen G. Post. He founded the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love. And at present, he's also the founder and director of the Stony Brook Center for Medical Humanities, Compassionate Care, and Bioethics. And he's the author of God and Love on Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Connectedness. Stephen, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. I'm happy to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. And, you know, I know that your normal everyday work is like medical humanities, compassionate care, and bioethics. So you're in there with lots of doctors and technicians and all of that. And yet you work with another sense. You're working with something that's relating to compassion and love and the connectedness of all of us. You had a conversation with a Dr. Foley. He asked you, what do you think about people who are mentally ill? Yeah, so Joe Foley, neurologist, so well-known. He was the president of the American Neurological Society. Just a wonderful guy. Uh, He was interviewing me for a job at Case Western as an assistant professor. And this goes back a ways, 1988. And I'm sitting in the foyer of Hannah Pavilion, which is a psychiatric institute. Joe was really interested in Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. And he asked me, so how do you think about these people? Are they, are they still there? And I said, Joe, Dr. Foley, of course, at the time, because I wasn't on first name basis with him. I never, I never presume that they're gone, they're absent, they're a husk, they're a shell. I think underneath all of this neurological deterioration, there beats a soul. They may have stepped out ahead of us and they've got one foot down on that train in the station that's going into a better place. But I never assume that they're not fully there. And that's why we have to be open to surprises. And you can see these examples of continuing self-identity, even though people may not be able to easily communicate. But if you're open and you notice it, it's there and you can cue it in them. So we had this beautiful conversation. And I said, I think of these people not as demented, because that's a word that people use in a derisive way. But I think of them as deeply forgetful. And you know, we're all a little deeply forgetful. I had a professor at the University of Chicago Divinity School who once came bounding into the Swift Kick coffee shop. And he looked at us gathered there and he said, does anybody remember if I drove to work today? (laughs) Well, you know, I like to say it's okay if you forget where you parked your car, but if you forget that you have a car that's parked, it might be more of a problem diagnostically. (laughs) So he forgot that. Uh, He actually eventually did succumb to dementia. But the thing is that We all have these degrees of forgetfulness and we all experience anxiety, especially when we can't remember names because there's so many people coming at us and we have so many layers of interaction. So I really believe that we have to realize that it's not them versus us, 
but rather it's a spectrum of forgetfulness and some of it is more consistent or less consistent, but we all are one and we all have still full consciousness. So I don't believe that linear rationality defines human moral status. Some people say, if you can't be projecting plans into the future and operationalizing them, this is what the Nazis said, you know, you're a useless eater, you're life unworthy of life. And they took people with dementia out of the asylums and put them in hypothermia situations and froze them to death. But then actually that stopped and the same investigators went to Dachau and Auschwitz and they perpetrated the hypothermia experiments on Jews and gypsies and gay folks and so forth. And so the point is, it's so easy to maltreat the deeply forgetful. And my view is that we have a lot to learn from them. You know, when you're around deeply forgetful people, you have to forget about chronological pressures because they're not living in chronological time. So you're there, you're in the now. You want to get into the now? Hang out with deeply forgetful people because that's all they've got. It's a beautiful thing, actually. And, and you can connect with them empathically and even spiritually. So there's something in psychiatry, which a lot of people will be aware of, called terminal lucidity. It happens widely with people who are deeply forgetful. And Rudy Tanzi, who's a famous dementia neurologist at Harvard, actually had lots of videos on this where he speaks about it. But I'll tell you from experience, I've written papers about it. A lot of people with dementia at that last moment, it could be the last day, the last few hours, they'll kind of come back into it and they'll be insightful. And you wonder, where's that coming from? Well, you could say it's just a little neurological fragment that's somehow still flashing off. But that doesn't make too much sense to me. It just suggests that they're still there. They're still fully intact as a human being, a human soul on a journey. They're not remembering things so well. They can't communicate so well. But they're still there underneath it all. And so we can respect them. I went to this geriatric hospital in Mount Vernon, Ohio with Joe Foley. And believe it or not, there was a unit for people with Down syndrome who'd also, in their 50s, succumbed to Alzheimer's disease, which is typical. And the caregivers were all these amazing Hindus, Hindu nurses, nurses aides, a couple of Hindu doctors. They were so meticulous, so loving in every detail, tone of voice. We took some of them out to a pizza place in Gambier, which is next to Kenyon. It's the only restaurant there. And we asked them, why do you care so well? And they said, namaste. Right? In other words, we honor the divine in them just as we honor it in ourselves. And I think that's so true. I think that's the way we need to look at these people. So, in other words, what you're doing is you're really acknowledging the dignity of every single person. People lose their ability to reason and they're no longer economically productive in society. You're saying not to throw these people away. Yeah, learning from them. You know, my grandmother had what was probable Alzheimer's disease, and I did assisted oral feeding, and I really picked up. I mean, occasionally she would call me by name. It was rare, but there was a, a ritual interaction going on there, and I thought she was much more present than people wanted to recognize. The thing about deeply forgetful folks is that they have a lot to teach us. We can learn from them. We can learn about what's important. What's important is to be here in the moment, to be present, to be empathic, to connect, and, you know, clinical pastoral care does a beautiful job with this population because there are so many cases of individuals, they may not be able to communicate verbally, but boy, you give them a rosary and they will do the rosary. 
One of my friends, uh, David Keck's dad, Leander Keck, was a New Testament exegete at Yale, and his wife, Janet, had Alzheimer's disease. And she would sometimes wander around New Haven, and people would sort of guide her back, you know, because they knew who she was. When she went to the Yale Chapel on Sundays for services, she would light up. She would sing songs. She could start to remember people's names. She could interact with them because there was something about the meaning and the depth of that experience. She would recite prayers. It was a beautiful thing. I can remember when years ago when we did a series of interviews with Sir Lawrence Vanderpost in London, and his wife of many years was suffering from something like that. She could no longer communicate, but he refused not to have her right by his side. And once in a while, she would speak up, and he became her mother. And she would actually almost address him in that way. And there would be times when she would do these incredible mudras with her hands out in the air, and she'd look up, and you just knew she was in bliss wherever she was. That's so interesting. I went with Dr. Foley to a nursing home in Chardon, Ohio, Northeast Ohio, called Heather Hill. And there was a special care unit for people with dementia, about 20 or 25 in the unit. They all had little biographical sketches on their doors. So I read the sketch about a guy named Jim. And I went out into the unit and I asked the nurse, could you introduce me to Jim? She took me over to Jim. And I said, Jim, how are your sons, Dave and Jim Jr.? He couldn't respond at all. He was incommunicado. So I took him over to a table. Still no conversation, but something happened. He had a twig in his hand, and he put the twig in my hand. And then he smiled, and it was so effusive that it lit the whole place up. And I was astonished. And I took the twig, and I put it back in his hand. And then I asked the nurse what was going on. And she said, well, he was a boy in, on a farm in northeastern Ohio, and he loved his father very much. And his father gave him a chore in the morning, which was to bring kindling in for the fireplace. His linear rationality, not so strong, but he still knew that somehow his identity was wrapped up with that symbolic object. So there's symbolic rationality. They're all different kinds of rationality. And just because someone cannot exercise linear rationality doesn't mean they're any less valuable than anyone else. It just reminds me of this other story that I'd love for you to share with our listeners. It's at a moment where you're leaving Ohio, and you've been there and you love it, and you're moving now to Terrytown, I think, in New York, and it's your last night. It's hard for you to leave, and something very magical happened. Can you share that? Yeah, that really was magical. I'd been 20 years living in Shaker Heights. We raised our two kids there, and I didn't want to leave, but I had this amazing offer at Stony Brook Medical School to start this program in compassionate care, and I wanted to do it, but I had mixed feelings, and I was suffering. I was truly suffering, and I was in back of Glidden House in University Circle with my friend Tom, and it was about 11 at night, and we were just mulling this over, and he didn't want me to go, but I said, well, I've already said I'm going, and I've, you know told the people at Case Western that. So I'm sitting there, the lights are dim, uh, the coffee shops are closed, and lo and behold, we see this guy, an African-American, an old guy coming out from the shadows between the trees and a bar actually called the Winking Lizard. And he comes out 
and he approaches me. I'm sitting at a chair, a kind of a picnic table with Tom, and he says, look, um, I want you to have this stick because I had a dream that you would be here. Someone needs this stick tonight. So I came out in the night, and here I am. And he had this beautiful, ornate stick. It's really kind of a staff. It's about six feet high. It has beautiful carvings, and it has a, a face with a sort of a star of David on the forehead. And I said, wow, if you were inspired to be out here at this time of night to give me this stick, I'll take it. What's it cost? I wanted to pay him something. He said $40. I didn't have 40 bucks in my wallet, so Tom paid him, and I paid Tom back later. And he said, you know, you're going on a journey, and you may not know where you're going, but the stick sometimes will know more than you do. So carry this stick. And I keep that stick in my office, <laughs> okay? And sometimes when people come in, I tell them about it because that too was an example of synchronicity. I mean, it was so beautifully set up and it was an answer to a desperate need. I mean, I was really not happy about the situation and I was second guessing myself and so forth. What did he say to you when you said if you had a prayer or a need, he said to do something with it? You must... Oh yeah, he said you should tap your stick on the ground and the answer will come, things along those lines. Just an amazing guy. And it turns out, I actually have a friend who was our neighbor in Shaker Heights named Jan Thrope. She's pretty well known because she does all this inner city gardening. And she actually knows this guy. So I saw her two months ago. Oh, my goodness. In Cleveland Heights at Max Back's bookstore doing a talk. And she's getting back in touch with me. So I'm looking forward to that. And I want to actually thank him for the stick. Oh, so you may see him again after all these years. Yeah, I mean, he was about, he had to have been 75 or 80, but apparently he's been in the Cleveland Plain Dealer. I didn't know this, but Jan told me. Because once she saw the stick, the stick is in the book, you know. Once she saw the stick, she knew, oh, that's one of this guy's sticks. (gasps) So he's real. (laughs) Oh, see, what a small world it is. Yeah. Just think about that, that all these connections. And I know that that's what your work is about, is really about how we are all connected in this grand field of infinite mind. It's just, we're all part of it. I just want to thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe today. Well, thank you, Justine. It's such a pleasure. It's been my pleasure as well. I've been speaking with Dr. Stephen G. Post. He's the author of God and Love on Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Connectedness. And if you'd like to know more about his work, you can go to his website, stephengpost.com. And he spells his name S-T-E-P-H-E-N, stephengpost.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and I want to thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe. And I invite you, please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org.
New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.